Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, may the words that we have just sung truly be the attitude of our hearts, that you alone are our heart's desire. Every day we are faced with so many responsibilities, so many activities, so many voices calling for our attention, calling for our affection or our devotion. But Father, the only thing that really counts is Jesus. You alone are the one that we desire. You alone are worthy of our worship. May our eyes see Jesus only. But Father, we pray that you would also be with us in all the responsibilities and duties of life. You have created us And we are your workmanship to do good works. And so we pray that each of us would find the calling and the ministry that you have for us. First of all, being a witness for Christ in our homes and in our families, by our lives and by our words, so that when people see us, they'll give glory to the Father because they'll know that it's, it's the work of Christ in us that has made us a new creature. And Father, we pray that uh, you would be with, the, minister, with the, the leaders of this church and the people of this church as they, as they use their gifts and talents to build up the body of Christ to teach and train up children and grandchildren in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to reach out to this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us to be faithful, winsome, loving witnesses for Jesus Christ. May we have a contagious faith that that causes people to say, what is it that you have I need that. And Father, we go through times of trial, times of testing, times of hardship. And many times, those are times of refining in our lives. So may we not fail to learn the lesson of those times. But may we be found to be faithful even in the hard times. May we be joyful even in affliction and give glory to God and trust that you are indeed a loving and good Father even when even when we for a time don't see the reason don't see the purpose don't understand what's happening to us Father, we pray right now for those who are afflicted and sick in this fellowship and among our extended friends and family. Be with those who are soon to undergo surgery or those who are recovering from surgery or illness. Father, we pray that your powerful healing hand would be at work in them. 
and that you would strengthen and heal and comfort and sustain. Father, we pray for the leaders of our nation at every level of government. What great responsibilities they have. And so, Father, we pray that they might lead as men who will give account for all that they do. We pray for wisdom. We pray for, for you to also guide this nation and our people as we elect new leaders and we have that opportunity and responsibility to select the leaders and raise up leaders uh, for our nation. So, Father, we just come to you today and we, we ask that you would be with us as we study your word together. Open our eyes. Speak to our hearts. We pray that you would renew our faith and encourage us and strengthen us for the week to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians and also uh, part of um, uh, chapter 4 and part of chapter 5. Let's hear now the Word of God. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then if you will skip down to chapter 5, verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. May God bless this reading of His Word in our hearts and in our lives this morning. 
great to be with you this morning. We want to thank you for the hospitality that you've shown to us uh, so far. Uh, and uh, you've perhaps uh, seen or met my wife, Lisa, this morning. She is clearly my better half and has been for 36 years. Lisa grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is just about 65 miles from here. But i got to tell you what she's really excited about this morning is that she's only 50 miles from Athens and only 13 days away from the first game of the 2014 football season. Are there any other Bulldog fans here today? Well, one way to understand who we are is that I'm a Presbyterian from Tennessee who married a Baptist from Georgia. And as you can see, she became a Presbyterian. Somewhere along the way, I became a Bulldog fan. Not long ago, I was talking with another pastor who is a Georgia fan, and I just mentioned that Lisa and I really enjoy watching the Bulldogs play. And he said, you do? He said, I'm a great, huge Bulldog fan, but when I watch them play, I'm a nervous wreck the whole time. And I, I get that. I mean, I mean, it would be easier, I have to admit, to be an Alabama fan. Because, you know, most of the time, uh, they begin every season by saying, who do you think will be playing for the SEC championship this year? Or if they're the really obnoxious kind, who do you think will have the honor of playing us for the national championship this year? Not exactly the way to win friends and influence people. That kind of reminds me of the way that I proposed to Lisa uh, way back in another century. She knew that I felt a call to the ministry, and I was concerned because, you know, not every woman, not every woman, in fact, not many women are excited about the prospect of being a pastor's wife. So I promised her, and I said, you know, honey, we're probably never going to be rich. In fact, I assure you we're never going to be rich, but you will never be bored. And i got to tell you, that worked really well for about 30 years. But uh, she's been a great support and a wonderful wife. But, you know, lately I think she's been thinking, you know, I could do with just a little bit less excitement and, and maybe even a little bit more security. That would be all right with me. So how about you? Do you ever wish that maybe life would be just a little bit less exciting? And just a little more predictable. Do you ever wish that being a Christian could be a little bit more like being an Alabama fan? Where most years, you know, there's only one or two teams that we really have to worry about. It's not always the easiest way to live. I love the Lord and I believe with all my heart that, that uh, if you follow Christ, you will avoid so much heartache. And you will experience lasting joy. Uh, but it's also true that it's through many tribulations and trials that we enter the kingdom of God. Uh, just before he wrote this letter to the Corinthians, Paul told the elders at Ephesus, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with trials. Sometimes it seems like we have more than our share of 
tears and trials. Maybe you've wished that life could be just a little less exciting and a little more predictable. I have to confess that I have at times. But the testimony of the Apostle Paul and all the great heroes of faith in the Bible and since the time of the Bible is that if you want to follow Christ, you must walk by faith and not by sight. But what does that mean, to walk by faith and not by sight? We say that. You've said that. What does it mean? What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? Well, I've listed four things here this morning. And the first one is that if you walk by faith and not by sight, your course is not determined by the things that you see. Your course is not determined by the things that you see. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul says, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you do that? You know, we don't do that enough, do we? We get so worried about the things that we can see, the problems that we know about, the challenges, the trials that are right in our face. But Paul says, as a Christian, when you walk by faith, you're not focused on the things that are seen, but you are looking at the things that are not seen. You see, the Bible tells us that there's a whole realm of things and forces that profoundly affects our lives. But we can't see it with our human eyes. And you may say, well, that that sounds kind of far-fetched. But did you know that today one of the great theories of astronomers and uh, astrophysics is that, uh, that up to 95% of the universe is made up of something called either dark matter or dark energy. And dark matter and dark energy, they propose, are the explanation for a lot of gravitational effects that they just can't explain any other way. In other words, when you look out with our great telescopes and our space telescopes and you, and, and you look at the the movement of the, of the galaxies. There's just not enough stuff up there to account for the way they behave. There must be a whole lot more stuff up there that we simply cannot see or detect with our instruments. In fact, most of it is either dark matter or dark energy. Now, I'm not saying that the spiritual world is made up of dark matter and dark energy. But what I am saying is that if scientists are convinced that, that everything we can see with our eyes accounts for only 5% of what's out there, maybe it's not so hard for us to believe that there's this vast spiritual world that's very, very real. Just as real as the physical world, but it's completely invisible 
to our human eyes and our human senses. And that's why I say your course is not influenced or limited or determined ultimately by the things that you can see. And it's why Paul says we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. In other words, we walk by faith and not by sight. The writer of Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, And that he rewards those who seek him. And then he follows this statement in Hebrews 11 with two illustrations of faith. Faith in things that are unseen. The first illustration is about Noah. Noah was warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. God came to him and told him there's going to be a storm. There's going to be a great flood. You need to build an ark for you and your family and for a pair of each of the species of animals. And so uh, Noah and his three sons begin building this ark. Uh, It seems like it took them something like 50 to 75 years to build this enormous ark. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. And the whole time that Noah was building this ark, there was no sign there was going to be a flood. There was no sign there had ever been a flood. I mean, you can just imagine people were coming to look at this thing and gawk at this thing and laugh at Noah. What in the world is this idiot doing? People thought he was crazy. But you see, Noah believed God about things that were yet unseen, things he could not see, and he walked by faith and not by sight. And because of this, he and his family, not to mention all the animals, were saved from the flood. And there's a lesson for us here. You know, it's getting harder and harder, it seems, these days, uh, to talk in the public square about God's judgment. Most people don't even think about it, don't ever worry about it. They don't worry about sin or the holiness of God or the judgment of God. But the Bible tells us that there are things that we cannot see with our eyes that are very, very real. And just as in Noah's day, it tells us that there is a great storm coming. There is a day of accounting. And those who walk by faith know that they need to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. Or in other words, if you are asked, what is your only comfort in life and death? Your answer would be something like the one we read from the Heidelberg Catechism, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, 
all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Noah walked by faith. He believed God about things that he could not see. And because of this, he and his whole family were saved from the great flood that wiped out humanity or the rest of humanity. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us about Abraham, who before God changed his name was called Abram. Now God came to Abram when he was 75 years old. And he said, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now in this illustration we have not a warning but a promise of blessing. Abraham is told to leave his home and most of his relatives and, his, and, and, and everything that he knows and is comfortable with and take his immediate family to an unknown place, a faraway place, a distant place, some 500 or more miles away that God would one day give to his descendants. And so he packs everything up. He says his goodbyes and he heads out not knowing where he was going. That's an amazing thing. Pack up, say goodbye for the last time, never to see these people again on a journey and you don't know where you're going. Perhaps he had a general idea because actually his father Terah had set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when he got to Haran, he stopped and he did never make it to, to Canaan. So maybe, maybe Abram wondered, maybe God wants me to finish this pilgrimage and get to Canaan. I don't know. But even so, he didn't know where. He didn't know how he was going to get there. He didn't know how he was going to be received. And most of all, he had no clue how God was going to fulfill this promise that Abram and Sarah, at their age, were going to have a child, and through that son, they would become a great nation. Didn't know how that was going to happen. But he set out not knowing where he was going. And uh, he believed. He believed that even though uh, he couldn't see these things, that God was faithful, that he would fulfill his promise to make from him a great nation. And so uh, he headed out in faith to seek the inheritance that God had promised him. And you know, there's a lesson here for us. Because in many ways, that's where you and I are. We're on a journey. God sends us on a journey. And we don't know where we're going. We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know how we're going to get there. We don't know how God's going to provide along the way. We don't know how he's going to protect us from the perils that we may encounter. We don't know how he's going to provide for all of our needs. We set out on a journey not knowing where we're going.
not knowing what's going to happen this week, not knowing what's going to happen next year, not knowing the day that we're going to die. We're all like Abram on a journey, on a pilgrimage to a promised land, to a promised blessing from God, not knowing where we're going. But those who walk by faith and not by sight will, will heed the, the, uh, the lesson of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know what the future is, but you know the God who holds the future. And so you set out on that journey and you trust Him and you believe in Him and He's always faithful. I love that song. He's always faithful. I've been through hard times. I've been through places where I didn't know how it was going to all work out. But we wouldn't have time for me to tell you all the ways that God has been faithful to me and to my family in our journey. Most of the time, we don't know what God's plan for us is and exactly how He's going to bring it about. But we do believe, along the lines of the words that we spoke earlier from the Heidelberg Catechism, that God's providence is His almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with His hand, He still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. And because of this, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from His love for all creatures are so completely in His hand that without His will, they cannot so much as move. My friends, I hope you know, I hope you believe that your course is not determined, not limited by the things that you can see, but it is controlled by the unseen hand of an invisible but almighty and all-powerful God. And thus, if you are a follower of Christ, you'll want to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, the second thing this means, if you walk by faith and not by sight, is that your heart is not devoted to the things of this world, to the pleasures of this world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, Paul says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul says here that his aim was to please the Lord. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's going to be your 
goal. That's going to be your desire. That's going to be your aim as well. And one day, even believers will stand before the Lord and will be rewarded for what we have done here on earth. And the judgment that he's talking about here is not a judgment for salvation because we know that it's only by grace that we are saved. It's through faith, and this is not of our own doing, but it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. But the judgment that Paul is talking about in this passage is about receiving eternal rewards for faithfulness. In effect, there's going to be something like a great Academy Awards presentation in heaven. I don't know about you, but I just get sick of all these award shows. I mean, it used to be, you know, you had the Academy Awards and you had the Tony Awards and I don't know, maybe there was one. Now, it's just every week there's some other award ceremony for people who are all pretty much in the entertainment industry. And I'm sure many of them are great people, but there are so many other people that ought to be honored. My wife and everybody else in my family are teachers. And, you know, there's a little teacher award ceremony somewhere out there, and they have teachers of the year. So why isn't that on television on Sunday night, the big glitz and glamorous thing, you know? I mean, these people are on the front lines of training our children. My son-in-law is a teacher in a difficult uh, school, one of the most challenging schools in, in, in the city. Uh, one of his students was handcuffed by the resource officer the other day, carried out in handcuffs because of his behavior. You know, we ought to reward some people like that. And what about our servicemen and women who put their lives on the line for us and to defend us? These are people who deserve to be honored deserve to be recognized for their, for their service and for their work. And I'm glad there's more of that today than there was 30 years ago, I guess, uh, when, uh, uh, when our soldiers were coming home from Vietnam. But we have all these awards ceremony, and, 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 and the Bible tells us that, that rewards are going to be given for faithful service. And God is going to judge what we have done uh, with with the opportunities and the talents and the gifts and the bodies that he's given us. And uh, some are going to hear him say, good and faithful servant. And so Paul's desire was to please the Lord. And his aim was to please the Lord. And again, if we go to the Heroes Hall of Fame in, in chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, the Faith Hall of Fame, we find, uh, uh, we find this about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing. Him who is invisible. Now you know Moses grew up as the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was aware of and experienced all of the privileges and opportunities and the power and the pleasures that were available to a son in a royal family. 
But as he grew up and as he grew older, he also became painfully aware of the hardship and the suffering of his blood relatives, his true people, the Hebrews. And so he was faced with a great choice. Would he deny his true family and just continue to enjoy the privileged standing that he had in Pharaoh's household, to enjoy all the pleasures that this world has to offer, particularly to the son in a royal family? Or would he leave his adopted family and take up with the people of God who were mistreated, who were suffering bitterly? And would he take up with him would he realize that God had put him there for such a time as this, to use a reference from the book of Esther, and cast his lot with the people of God? And even though Moses' choice was especially dramatic, it's really a choice that all of us face. Are we going to seek after the things of this world and all the pleasure and joy that this world and the things of this world can provide? Are we going to selfishly pursue things that will give us pleasure and happiness? Or will we choose to cast our lot with God's people and to serve the Lord faithfully, no matter what hardship it may bring, no matter what we may at times have to deny ourselves uh, from from having or experiencing, uh, to, uh, to seek God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin in this life. Well, you know what Moses did. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than all the treasures of Egypt because he looked to an eternal reward and he walked by faith and not by sight. And again, Paul says... We must look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, if you believe that this world is all there is, then you are going to probably seek for whatever pleasure you can receive today. And you're going to be very discouraged if you find yourself in uh, a position of affliction or hardship. It's kind of like you just lost the lottery of life. But if you are a believer, you walk by faith and not by sight, and you know this world and this life is not all there is. In fact, this is just kind of a flash in the pan compared to eternity. And you're looking not to what pleasure you can squeeze out of life today, out of this fleeting, transient life, but you're looking to an eternal reward. And so you do not love the things, do not love the world or the things of the world. Because John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does, the will of God abides 
forever. Now, I would not want you to think that I'm saying that all the things that bring us enjoyment and pleasure in this world are wrong. The Bible does not call us, or at least not most of us, to be ascetics. People who believe that anything that is pleasurable or enjoyable must therefore be wrong, and so we should all just seek to live the most austere lives that we possibly can. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what God does say is that whether we eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So God provides us many good things, many material blessings, many earthly pleasures. But these are to be enjoyed only according to the commandments of God and and for the glory of God. And the difference is that at the end of the day, we believe in the depths of our souls that man doesn't live by bread alone, but there are greater things in life than just our own personal comfort and pleasure. And our greatest purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him and and be in a relationship with Him, both now and for eternity. And so while we're in the world, we're not of the world. We use and partake of the things of this world, but we want to be good stewards of them and not have our hearts set on them. And so if we walk by faith, Our hearts are not devoted to the things of this world, but our eyes are on Jesus and our hearts are devoted to him. Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The psalmist writes in Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. That's our belief. That's our testimony. That's our aim. The essence of the Christian life is not so much don't do this and don't do that. There are some rules to follow. Rules that are given for our good. Rules that are given by our Creator because He knows what's best for us. But at its heart, the message of the Gospel is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So if you walk by faith, your heart's not going to be devoted to the things of this world. And then thirdly, your joy is not going to be dependent on the circumstances of your life. Let me tell you a secret. Life can be hard. Life can happen. And sometimes it can be really hard. Paul even said, you know, he faced challenges that were almost beyond his ability. And, of course, God's not going to let you face something that, that he doesn't give you the grace to go through. But, but we get pretty close. Jesus said that in this world you'll have tribulation. 
Here was Paul's testimony in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. You want to know what Paul's life was like? You know what it was like to be a church planter in the first century? He said, is anyone a servant of Christ? He said, so am I, with greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. I can't even imagine. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Life can be hard. I've not begun to experience the trials that Paul experienced, but I've had my share. Life can be hard. And so what happens when when life happens? And you face all those trials and challenges. Do you, do you get discouraged? Do you get despondent? Now, I'm not talking about clinical depression here. I'm talking just about the ordinary attitude of your heart here. And what the Bible says is that our joy, our peace, is not dependent on the circumstances of our life. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various Trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And in our passage this morning, Paul says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then in chapter 5, verse 6, So we are always of good courage. Yes, We are of good courage. How do you do this? How can you continue to rejoice even in the midst of enormous pain and suffering almost beyond what you can bear? Well, you believe that your times are in God's hands. You believe that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And you know, you know that this life is not all there is. Not because you can see it, but because you're walking by faith and not by sight. And when you learn this, you'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, 
I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In the last church that I served, there was a woman named Rachel. Sweet, talented Christian woman who would play the harp. Not a full-scale harp, but a smaller harp on special occasions at the church. She was born with a spinal defect and was confined to a wheelchair for most of her life. And over the years, she's had a number of invasive surgeries to deal with the effects of this defect. And while I was at the church, she had to have major surgery to, to reduce and stop the increasing curvature of her spine so that she wouldn't slump over in the wheelchair but could sit up. And following that surgery, she developed a serious infection that was life-threatening, and she had to keep going back for more surgery and treatment. Finally, she got over the infection. But she could no longer work at, uh, at the job that she had had before, which was a good job. It had paid her a good salary and good benefits. And so she and her husband have really struggled financially since that time. And he continues to sing in the choir. and She continues to head up the church's ministry to people with special needs and to play the harp at Christmas and other occasions. But recently, her doctors told her that they needed to amputate her feet and her lower legs. Now, I guess if anyone had a reason to despair, a reason to... To, to complain, a reason to, to, to be discouraged, she would have it. But you see, she believes that this world is not all that there is. She's walking by faith and not by sight. So she wrote this post on Facebook shortly before the surgery, the first surgery to have uh, the first leg amputated. As I was trying to find a way to let people know that my first surgery is in two weeks from today, I wanted to keep it light, witty, and a little cheeky. Today, it could change tomorrow. Today, I'm at peace and okay with the decision to lose both of my lower legs. I don't want people, including myself, to look at me any differently after this happens. I'm still going to be the same person. Having prosthetic legs and feet will actually be better and easier for me in the long run. Shoe shopping might actually be enjoyable. So unless anyone is friends with me just for my feet, can we keep things as normal as possible? See, that's, that's walking by faith and not by sight. That's someone who believes that this world is not all there is. That's someone who believes that God is still in control and he's working all things together for good. For those who love the Lord. The Christians face trials in this life. Of course we do. Jesus said we would. But he also said take heart. I have overcome the world. And finally this morning. If you're walking by faith. And not by sight. Your hope is not and will not be diminished. By the decline of your body. It is a fact. You and I are not as young. As we used to be. 
All of us are getting older. And all of us have an expiration date. Over the 32 years that I've been a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. Many of the people that I ministered to at the beginning of my ministry have gone home to be with the Lord today. And one day, someone will perform my funeral. And I have all sorts of aches and pains to remind me that that day is coming. I have to take all sorts of pills to, to try to maybe delay that day just a little bit. For those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, there's just no happy ending to this story. But as Christians, we don't face grief and death as those who have no hope. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And in this chapter, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, what about those heroes of faith? Noah, Abraham, Moses, all the rest. How did things turn out for them? The book of Hebrews tells us that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. My friends, you and I are on a journey God has come to you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he has said, set out from here to a place that I will show you. And that journey is ultimately going to take us, not to Canaan, but it's going to take us to the heavenly Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And there we're going to be with Christ forever. God is not ashamed to be our God and he has prepared for us a city. What that, what's that city going to be like? We get just a hint of it in Revelation chapter 21. First of all, it's a city where God will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. And it's going to be a city in which John said he saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, 
and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. God has prepared a city for us. We're on a journey. We don't know when we're going to get there. We don't know exactly what twists and turns we're going to go through on the way. We don't know what obstacles we're going to face. We don't know how we're going to overcome those obstacles. But we do know this. We know there's a vast unseen world out there. There are angels. There is the Holy Spirit. There is the power of God. And he who promised is faithful. And we walk by faith and not by sight. So if you have heard Christ's voice and you have chosen to follow him, know that he's taking you to a land of milk and honey. Know that he's taking you to a place where he will wipe every tear from your eyes and where there will be no more mourning or crying or pain. And the greatest thing about that city, the greatest thing of all about that city is that God himself will be there and we will be with him for all eternity. So no matter what trials may come, no matter what life may dish out to you, no matter what challenges you may face, we have this great and abiding hope because we walk by faith and not by sight. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, the world is too much with us. It is in our face. It is in our ears. It is screaming for our attention and our devotion. It is a great distraction. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to believe that the world that we see is only a small percentage of what is really out there. And to look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. To look to the God who is almighty and all-powerful but invisible to our human eyes and to trust him to take us to that city and to guide us every step of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.